Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to a new episode of CRISPR Cuts. We've often spoken about the potential of CRISPR in therapies on this show, but today's episode is unique. We'll be hearing from a patient, their perspective for the very first time. Our guest today is Bryce Olson. After being diagnosed with aggressive prostate cancer, Bryce quickly learned about the science behind it and has leveraged NGS to understand his tumor genomics. He's been using these insights to find opportunities in personalized therapies. Yeah, Bryce has had a really inspiring journey and we'll cover how he's advocating not only for himself, but for all cancer patients to demand having their tumor sequenced. We also discuss the next generation of cell and gene therapies that he's pursuing as well as what's involved in qualifying to participate in clinical trials like these. So now let's get into it. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts, Bryce. It's great to have you on today. And let's just start with your journey. Maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you have been working on and yeah, your professional and personal journey. Sure. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I Initially, I was just this guy from the tech industry who at 44 years old, got diagnosed with like super aggressive metastatic prostate cancer. And I knew nothing about cancer. I mean, I didn't pay attention to biology. I didn't even like science in high school. I took the minimum amount of science classes in college. I just, I didn't really focus on the space at all. And so, you know, when somebody like that gets diagnosed with cancer, you find yourself in a paternalistic relationship really with with your doctor. You're gonna do whatever the doctor says. And, you know, I found myself all of a sudden thrust into this standard of care paradigm, you know, this one size fits all treatment paradigm where even my cancer being more aggressive than the average bear, I'm still going to get the same standard of care trial and error treatments as everybody else. You know, this kind of spin the wheel of cut, burn, poison, and in my case of prostate cancer, you know, starve, you know, try to starve the cancer from hormones and testosterone, right? And that's where I found myself, you know, and it was really frustrating because like I mentioned, I was told that I had very aggressive, more aggressive than majority of people that get diagnosed with this, yet I'm going to get the same standard of care treatments as everybody else, but I'm supposed to hope that I'm going to get, you know, a better response. It just, it seemed really just wrong. And Sure enough, you know, like I went through chemo, I went through surgery, you know, the cut and the, and the poison, I went through radiation and those things worked for a little while, but it wasn't too long where I started to build up a resistance and I saw my cancer come back and I really started to lose hope. I didn't think I'd see my daughter get out of elementary school. And it was kind of around this time when Duke Health did this study and it basically showed that if you were a guy who had metastatic prostate cancer that had spread to the bones. And if you had progressed off a of chemo, you had about 21 months to live. So I started to get really depressed, kind of came to terms with my own mortality, but I wanted my last days to matter. And so, you know, I worked for this large tech company, Intel Corporation, right? The chip company, the, the semiconductor company. And they had this group that was focused on the health and life sciences sector and helping large 
hospitals and pharmaceutical companies and cancer researchers, you know, make new discoveries and ingest, process, store, and analyze data in new ways. And so I, I didn't really know much about what they were doing, but I wanted to use my experience and background to get into that group. And when I got in, it blew my mind because I learned about genomics and how we were helping the largest cancer centers and genomic research centers like Beijing Genomic Institute and, and the Broad Institute take this massive amount of genomic data and find new insights with it. And I got kind of upset at that point because nobody was doing this for me. I wasn't getting any of this, any of this personalized for me. So I demanded it from my doctor. And, you know, they weren't really supportive at first. They were just telling me that, look, we can do this for you. We can sequence your cancer, but it's not really going to change what we're going to offer for you. We're going to give you the same standard of care treatments that we have slotted for everybody. And I just, at that point, I was like, I don't care. Just let's just do this because it could potentially give us some new insight. And so I demanded it. I got it. About 30 days later, I get a call from the pathologist. He's the head of pathology at OHSU in here in Portland, Oregon. And he says, hey, I, you know, I found something that might be clinically actionable for you, but I'm not really supposed to have this conversation with you. It's supposed to come from your oncologist. And I said, no, no, you've got to get, got to get me smart on this because if I can't go toe to toe with him on this, I'm going to just end up back on the standard of care. And so help me understand what's going on. And he said, okay, well, you've got a mutation in the PI3K, the PI3 kinase signaling pathway. And not only is it mutant, but it's hyperactive because you have a mutation in a tumor suppressor gene called P10. So you've got like hyperactive growth going on this pathway. And if you could find a early drug that would inhibit cancer on that pathway, you might have some new success. So sat down with the oncologist. We found a phase one clinical trial at Cedars-Sinai in, in L.A., and I call him up and the conversation is kind of funny. I, I, I was like, hey, I want into your trial. And they say, well, sorry, there's no spots available right now. Everybody's trying to get into these clinical trials. And I said, yeah, but I got genomic sequencing data. She's like, you have what? I was like, I've got genomic sequencing data. I know I'm a perfect molecular match to the drug you're trying to test. The drug you're testing is inhibiting the way that my cancer uniquely grows. And they said, well, gosh, no one's ever called us with that before. Can you come down? We'd love to talk to you. We'd, we'd love to find somebody like you who's actually a, a molecular match for something like this. So I came down, I became eligible, and I shut it down for two years between 2015 and 2017 with that strategy. So if you flash forward to today, you know, I'm eight years dealing with aggressive metastatic disease in the bone. I've been on 11 lines of therapy including four different clinical trials at four different academic cancer centers. And that includes a few off-label drugs. And I've more than tripled my median survival. So I think I'm doing pretty well with the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an amazing story. It's really inspiring. And I think one thing that I'd like to touch on is how you really became an advocate for your, your own health. You took things into your own hands which worked out great for you, but you didn't, you didn't stop there. And perhaps what's most inspiring is you've become an advocate for others through your Sequence Me movement. Yeah. So really just to sum it up, it's extremely important that all cancer patients try to get their, their, their tumor sequenced, right? And not, not even just cancer patients, but other, um, those with other diseases that don't have like a, you know, good treatments right now, because you, you, you don't know what you might find until you look. So 
Yeah, maybe just tell us a little bit more about the sequence movement that you've started. What is it? Um, I think you've touched really on your motivation, right? I'm sorry, with your own health, yeah. but, but maybe expand on, on that. And like, where are you at now with that? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was motivated by the success that I had. I, I felt morally obligated to figure out a way to get the word out about this because, you know, I just felt like, gosh, if if I was able to identify what was driving my disease and then open up a new door, that's what other patients could do as well. And so I wanted to come up with something actionable that, you know, a call to action, something that would make sense, something simple and effective. And I just thought of sequence me, you know, just something simple, like why let's do this. Let's just sequence, sequence me, you know, let's just go into your doctor and demand it. And so I started kind of creating a multimedia approach with this that I was very beneficial from, it was very beneficial for me that working at Intel, they saw what I was doing and the success that I had as an example of something that they wanted to also shine a light on because, you know, a lot of the sequencing and data-driven genomics is, is using high-performance computing. And again, you have to ingest, store, analyze, and process all this. And so they were very excited about helping me get the story out. And so we created some videos and I, I was looking today at like how many people have seen these and about 9.5 million views across four different videos have, have occurred from this that are really highlighting my story and what we're trying to do with, you know, just the sequence me movement of driving people to demand sequencing for disease that you have so you can understand what's driving it and open up some new doors. I was fortunate enough to get some interest from big press. So there's an article from Wired Magazine. Forbes has written about it a couple of times. Stat Media has covered it. I've done some international media days with Roche. And the story has been told in like so many different European languages. It's pretty cool. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to get on stage and talk about this at places like South by Southwest and the Nantucket Project and Hims, which is a very large healthcare information management meeting, and a ton of other places, and and I think it was you know coming off a stage and seeing how this message resonated with so many people, I would get bombarded with people that wanted to talk more about it with me, and I think it was about 2018 when I realized like I've got to create a website for this that I can direct people to, and and so we also stood up this a website called SequenceMe.org, and it's the first website, I believe, with a chatbot that speaks genomics. So when you enter into the website, a chatbot from a company called Clear Genetics, which got acquired by Invite, opens up, and her name is Gia, and she will just ask you, like, well, how could I help you? How could I help you understand genomics for cancer? And walks patients through it. And, you know, there's a lot of Q&A and FAQs available for patients. We have a battle card that you can download and bring to your doctor's appointment because sometimes doctors are still not very forthright about making these technologies available to patients. And so the battle card was meant to just overcome objections when you enter into a situation like that with your doctor. And it's been really great. The message resonates with a lot of people. And I know there's been like thousands and thousands of people that have bought these t-shirts that say sequence me on them and they've worn them into their doctor's offices and, and have demanded it. And, you know, we're not at the place where every cancer patient gets sequenced today, but it's a lot better now in 2022. If you have advanced cancer and you go into your doctor's office today, chances are pretty high that you're going to get some level of profiling. And 
hopefully this this movement has helped a little bit with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I just wanted to kind of highlight why how important this is. Like when you're dealing with a diagnosis, especially a late stage diagnosis that you have a defined amount of time left in your life, like you're not thinking straight. You don't know what to do next, right? Like you don't even know what questions yeah. to ask. So I think that's part of the reason why this is so powerful. You're arming people with those questions because they might not know to ask them. And, and unfortunately, at least in the recent past, and maybe sometimes now still, you have to fight to get those questions answered. And I know, and kind of a personal case for me, my, my father had lung cancer and I couldn't even get the doctor to tell me like how he knew that he had cancer. Like, cause it, there's something like, it was like, I think it was IHC with four markers. And these, th- this was probably a test that was set up like in the seventies, but he couldn't even like yeah. tell me like what, what he was standing positive for. Right. So, and so I have a, a, a bit of a background in science. So I maybe knew more than most people what questions to ask, but I didn't, didn't know like all the things I should be asking, let alone what I should be, what I could be demanding. And in my case, like I, I did not demand to, that he had his genome sequence. I wish I did. You know, it, this was about four years ago and I, I lost my mm-hmm. father to lung cancer. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if, if we did that? We might have found something that could have extended his life even just like a, a little bit. Like your your a mantra for sequence me is like to to demand to be sequenced, and you're providing patients like with with the tools to get their physicians to to listen. Such a powerful movement and so important because if, if if we don't be our own advocates for our health, like it's you won't always find someone else who who will look out for you. No, I totally I totally agree with you, and you know it's just it's another reason of why this is so important in in cancer and other diseases because. You know, when, when you get diagnosed with something like this, it's it's shocking how few standard of care drugs are truly available for you. You know, I coming new into this space, I thought, okay, cancer sucks. This is going to suck. But, you know, I'm sure there are drugs that are going to keep me alive for 20 years. And when I found out that there was like a handful of things and that you're going to exhaust them really quickly if you have aggressive cancer, I, I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, one of the things that every advanced cancer patient wants is hope. You know, they need hope. And it's critical to open up new doors beyond the, the small amount of standard of care drugs. Because without understanding what's driving your disease, then, you know, you're not getting access to off-label, which would mean, you know, drugs that are approved for somebody else's cancer, but that could be a good, effect, a good you know, thing for you. Or clinical trials, you know, and only 4%, this is crazy, only 4% of cancer patients actually go on to clinical trials. 96% of them never even go on to it. But that's where all the new stuff is that's going after what's genomically altered and screwed up with your cancer. And like in the case of your dad, you know, it's, it's super unfortunate because lung cancer is one of those where today it almost be medical malpractice if you didn't get sequenced because there are like first line, second line, third line drugs for lung cancer patients who are ALK mutant, ALK mutant, right? Or, or EGFR mutant or ROS1, you know, I mean, there's just, there's so many drugs that are available now that you almost have to do it. Otherwise you just go on chemo and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what, I mean, he went on the, uh, you know, um, cisplatin chemo, which is one of the, which was a big breakthrough for the time. And it works well to kill cancer cells, but it's side effects, like make it difficult. Right. And, Ultimately, yeah. you know, he what what got him was not the cancer because this cancer was responding, but the chemo also killed his immune cells, really yeah. making it hard to fight other infections. So a secondary infection, you know, is what ultimately what what took my dad. 
and then that's like these these second, third, current, next generation medicines like are more really targeted to only get the cancer cells. So it's yeah, and that, like that's we right. said, like the, the the clinic is where clinical trials is where these new things that are going to save so many people's lives are still at right now as things just take years to move through. So getting the access to those therapies so so important. Yeah, and there's like really concrete reasons to do it today too. You know, like. For example, if you're BRCA mutants, right, the BRCA2 gene or BRCA1, BRCA2, you know, there's PARP inhibitor drugs today that are FDA approved if you find out that you're mutant for one of those, for example. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, they were approved for ovarian cancer and breast cancer, but you could have prostate cancer and still be BRCA mutant and respond to these PARP inhibitors. And people realize that now. And so that's like an off-label drug that you get approved for. And there's you know, a lot of, um, there's at least three immunotherapy biomarkers that show up in these tests. They're, for example, tumor mutational burden, microsatellite instability, which is MSI, PDL1 expression. Like if you're one of the few percentage of people that really have those things, then checkpoint inhibitors and classic immunotherapy drugs are really good for you. Like they really work really well. Or, you know, if you have uh, NTRAC. Uh, mutations. There's track inhibitors that can be out there and be helpful. So you really need to look and and do this because there's FDA approved drugs that are available for you. And then like in my case, there was nothing FDA approved, but there was clear things in clinical trial that were available to me if I could just show that I was altered in that way. Right. I think Bryce, this is just so inspiring to just hear. I mean, no one would ever guess that you don't have a science background. So first of all, like kudos on that to just, you know, learning everything that you can about, I would say cancer in general. And then of course, like pushing to get your own cancer sequenced is, and and taking it to a sequence me movement is, you know, a completely different level altogether. Uh, You mentioned, you know, just having already being part of different trials and then also, you know, what patients need is hope. So I wanted to touch a little bit more on that, right? Like, We've been hearing so much about CRISPR's potential. What do you think any of those type of personalized medicines in cell and gene therapies, are they something that can help you? Are you involved in any such trials? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So here's where, and it kind of connects into some of the shortcomings that somebody like me is starting to experience with just genomics alone. And, you know, kind of one way that I like to talk about this is when I first mentioned that when I first got sequenced and I found out that I had these alterations in the PI3K signaling pathway, that was a great target for me. And, you know, I was basically what I would refer to myself as a precision medicine 1.0 patient at that time. You know, I haven't seen a lot of these different drugs and it worked really well for me. And that was great. The challenge though, is that once you've been on a drug like this for a while and you have some success, your cancer will ultimately mutate and morph around that type of blockade, right? It'll develop resistance, you know, through either, you know, crosstalk with a different pathway. It'll, it'll, it'll create a new mutation in a different pathway, you know, different ways that it can become resistant. And what's happened to me, and I can see this with longitudinal genomics that I've done, you know, year after year after year, I've acquired new alterations over time because of all the drugs that I've been on. And the challenge that I have right now is that I have like four or five different genomic alterations that are all causing me problems and I can't inhibit all of them. 
if if you try to inhibit that many things, you wouldn't even be able to get off the couch. It just you'd be so sick. And like I mentioned, unfortunately, I'm one of these. You know, I'm not sure what the stat is, but I want to say like 95% or so of, of solid tumors, they're not TMB high, they're not MSI high. So like classic immunotherapy doesn't really work very well. And, you know, I've got an aggressive variant cancer, you know, I've got, so I have a P53 alteration. It's like the guardian angel of the genome, the P53. Well, mine's, you know, I have P53 loss, I have P10 loss. So I've I've got these alterations that make a lot of drugs, whether it's chemo or radio ligands or hormone therapy or target inhibitors, it, it makes them just somewhat resistant to these drugs, right? So now I'm running out of options and I'm looking at cellular immunotherapies and cell and gene therapies as something that could offer a lot of potential for me. And they have been amazing for blood cancers. So some of these you know, B-cell cancers like B-cell lymphoma and B-cell um, ALL, they've been amazing, but they're still a little bit disappointing for solid tumors. And I, I could get into some of the reasons why, if, if we want to go there, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, I, I want to get on one. It's probably going to be the path that I go on next. Matter of fact, I am in the process of becoming eligible for a CAR-T that's called a PSCA, so prostate stem cell antigen CAR-T. It's out of City of Hope. The eligibility is taking a long time. It's, if you can imagine, they have to see if I'd be a good fit for it. So they have to find a sample of mine and then do PSCA expression testing and see if I'm expressing it. And then if so, then we go through the long process of getting an autologous CAR-T built for me, which involves harvesting my T-cells, editing my T-cells, expanding them, and then putting them back into me, which is a several two to three month process. And meanwhile, my cancer doesn't stop growing, right? So, but I'm optimistic because the potential for significant objective responses are happening. Even though it's really early in the dose escalation and the dose optimization of these phase one drugs, they are seeing some effectiveness. And so I'm going to give it a shot. But again, you know, I'm I'm concerned that there are certain things that are going to make it possibly not work, but that I think CRISPR could actually really fix. So I'm excited about where the future is going. Right. I really hope this trial works out great for you. And it's good to know that you are almost, you've almost cleared eligibility for that. You did touch upon, you know, so many of these therapies not working because uh, they're not like as effective on solid tumors. Uh, so there are things that probably need to change long term, and then there are things that probably should change short term to even just help patients yeah. who are maybe in your situation already, right? Like more research and like better understanding is probably in the long term list. What would you say are things that could be changed right away or in the short term, which might even help someone like you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think maybe this is long term to medium term, but. So a few things that are are challenging today is that like, so these CAR T cells, you know, the reason why they work really well with blood cancers is because they're circulated in the bloodstream and then in the lymphatic system, right? So there's tons of interaction with blood cancers, but when you're talking about a solid tumor, you need to get beyond that and actually penetrate tumor tissue. That's, if you think about it, it's like this big cancer growth that's outside of the blood vessels. It's outside of the bloodstream. It's something that might be attached to your bones or might be attached to your liver or your lung. And so you've got to get the T cells 
to that and they get tired. They get tired on their way to that journey. They, they need to recruit other helper cells that are sometimes not functioning the way they should. The other challenge with solid tumors is that you need an antigen target, right? You, if you say, okay, I'm going to create this chimeric antigen receptor. I'm going to engineer it on, and put it on the cell surface of the T cell so it can recognize you know, something that's expressed on the cancer cell. But unlike like CD19, which is expressed in all these B cell lymphomas, with something like prostate cancer, there's multiple antigens. There's a lot of heterogeneity, if you will, in the antigen expression. So even if you go after one, you may not really stop it because there's all these other antigens that are they're using to grow, right? And then I think the biggest challenge is the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment. And the way I like to think about this is like, if cancer is like the castle, then the moat, you know, the moat that's surrounding, you know, like that deep, broad ditch that's dug around the castle that provides a line of defense, that's like the moat. And the tumor microenvironment is like the moat, right? It's this protective thing that, that suppresses an immune attack. And you have to figure out like, okay, what's going on with that tumor microenvironment? Why is it suppressing the immune system? And how could you edit that out? And how could you basically knock in or knock out things that are causing the immune system to be suppressed? And it's kind of like, do you guys ever see the 1976 movie, The Pink Panther Strikes Again? Like, do you guys like Inspector Clouseau and Peter Sellers and all that? Yeah. Yeah, we were just, yeah. <laughs> I was just talking about the Pink Panther with my daughters at um, breakfast the other day, actually. Interesting, uh, interesting time. Yeah. You bring it up. Yeah. So do you remember that crazy scene where he's like trying to get into the castle because Chief Inspector Dreyfus has gone crazy and he's going to blow up the whole world with that giant laser? And so he's he's like trying all these ways to get over the river and get into the castle and cross the moat. That's kind of what I see like these cellular immunotherapies like CAR-T today. They're just, they need better ways to like really understand what is immunosuppressive about the tumor microenvironment for each individual patient, and then use CRISPR technologies to basically knock that stuff out. So TGF-beta, for example, is an immunosuppressive thing in the TME. If someone now analyzed my TME and saw that I had a bunch of that, well, then knock it out. You know, or PD-1, one of these things that are the PD-1, PDL one axis, right? It's a common thing with immunotherapy. And if I could see that we needed to knock out PD-1 to make the T cells attack the tumor better, then great, let's knock it out. But, you know, we don't do that level of profiling today. And for the most part, the clinical trials aren't doing those type of knockouts, but that would be really helpful. And so I, I think, you know, in the, in the short term, as an advanced cancer patient, I think you want to get educated on, okay, what CAR Ts are available, or they don't have to be just CAR Ts, they could be bispecific T cell engagers, like bite trials. And there's, you know, there's other things that are cellular um, you know, therapy in nature that I think you should get educated on. And, and then, you know, you could understand, you know, through different expression level testing, like, are you a good fit? So with prostate cancer, there's PSMA antigen CAR-Ts, there's PSCA antigen CAR-Ts. There's tests that you can determine whether you express that or whether you have a lot of that. And that's just for prostate cancer. I mean, every solid tumor has got something in phase one right now for CARs. And so, if you're really curious about it, you could find out, see if you're eligible. And then I don't think anybody should ever die without trying one of these things because we're not at a point where they work like blood cancers, but there are objective 
responses that people are seeing. And some of these responses can be dramatic. And so we should all like give it a try if we can. Yeah. And if people say, and I believe it, I think you, you do as well, like cell and gene therapy and those that are using CRISPR technology are the future of medicine, the future of cancer treatments. But for some people like yourself, a lot of people, the future is too far away, right? So, you know, there's yeah. this common phrase or whatever, like cancer patients are waiting, right? But often yeah. not enough time to, to wait for, for them. So I was wondering as part of like the sequenced me movement or, or, or maybe like the next steps of that, are you now focusing on, on that part, like how to educate those, like once they get there, once they are able to sequence their genomes, like trying to learn what it means, learn what therapies are available to them. And yeah. just, you know, like, what, like how, how is that all, like how are the next steps of, of the movement going? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that because what I would love to do is at some point add a new chapter on the sequence me and, you know, whether I call it engineer me or something like that, I, you know, I would love to move in that direction. I think the challenges for that are, you know, number one, I personally need to have some success with a cellular immunotherapy or cell and gene therapy before I can go out and hype it, you know, because I did have success with genomics and identifying what drove my cancer. And that was a no brainer for me to go out and like try to drive awareness for it. But you know, hopefully in the next two or three months, I'm going to go do this CAR-T at City of Hope. If I'm a responder, then that's going to give me a lot more confidence, if you will, to kind of go out and start to build awareness for this. But the other challenge that exists, and, you know, for all the the companies that are going to be listening to this podcast, I, you know, one of the big challenges that exists is there's no, from an actionability perspective, if you think about it, like a cancer patient can't go demand cellular immunotherapy profiling today. Like it's easy to go demand genomic cancer profiling and find out what's driving your disease at a genomic level. But if I want to understand my immune function, you know, for example, okay, what's T cells, NK cells, dendritic cells, like what's the function of my T of my cells? What's screwed up about the tumor microenvironment that's immunosuppressive in nature? And then what antigens are being expressed on my cancer, so I could use those as CAR T targets, for example. There's no diagnostic that exists today. There should be, but there isn't. And, and I don't know if the reason why is because all these cellular immunotherapies are still stuck in phase one, and the big pharmaceutical companies aren't trying to shape the demand and interest among patients yet because it's too early. You know, like that could be the case. But once we get to a point where there's a few diagnostic companies that are able to help profile, you know, what would be a good cellular immunotherapy based on that individual's, you know, immune function, then I would love to shine a light on those companies because then patients could go get diagnosed. They could understand what's uniquely driving their cancer that could be turned on or, or sorry, that could actually be affected by an immunotherapy. And then they could use that to go pick the right cellular immunotherapy. We're not quite there yet, if that makes sense. We just need to get a little bit further along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, personalized medicine works well when you know which medicine to give to which person, right? And that's the kind of the step we yeah. have where we need to get to right now immediately. Yeah, yeah. And I think like CRISPR, I think is going to add some really amazing innovation, I think, to these cellular immunotherapies and CAR-Ts. Like, for example, I feel like my T cells today are kind of like Grandpa Simpson. They just move really slow. 
I'm hypothesizing here, right? I don't know for sure, but like I've been on so many different treatments over the last eight years that the health of my T cells may not be that great. So when I go and get an autologous CAR T therapy that's using my T cells, I worry about whether, you know, are they going to be effective enough? But when you use CRISPR, you could get a lot more precision, for example, when you insert the CAR into the genome of the T cells so that you get really good expression levels. Like that would be cool. And, you know, you could use CRISPR to correct genetic defects on these autologous T cells so they could just be more efficient killers. Like we, we need stuff like that. And then I think the, you know, pr- one of the big challenges with autologous CAR T cells is that, you know, like it just takes so damn long to get them ready for a patient. You know, you've got to, they're individualized for each individual patient. You've got to harvest the T cells, edit them, expand them then transfuse them back into the patient. It's very time consuming. It's very expensive. There's some problems with it. But imagine using CRISPR to just create off the shelf, you know, universal CAR T's, you know, like allogeneic CAR T's. So you don't have to do all that harvesting and editing and expanding. You just find a donor and then use CRISPR to knock out the genes that are going to cause like an immune rejection. So you don't have graft versus host problems and things like that. When we get there, all of a sudden pharmaceutical companies can generate these CAR T's so much faster. You know, like imagine just off the shelf universal CAR T's that you don't have to wait for. And then again, like this immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment, like once we can understand really what is immunosuppressive on each individual TME, the tumor microenvironment, then you can edit that stuff out with CRISPR. And then you'd have a better chance of crossing the moat and getting to the castle. And so I, I'm just really excited about CRISPR's potential in this space. I just need it to happen faster <laughs> for me, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you described it really well. And that's really the hope for CRISPR in near and long-term future that it will take personalized medicine to that level where it's literally personalized and every patient gets their own data, not just sequenced, but looking at the tumor environment, figuring out which therapy works for them and possibly getting that therapy is like the ultimate dream, I think, for every patient out there and even every researcher out there, I would say. One thing I just wanted to ask you before we end is, you know, I know you kind of said that the engineer me movement would, it would obviously be much more valuable and credible if if things worked out for you. But just generally, even I'm not sure if people are even aware of like, for example, you, you gave a good example of when you had your cancer sequenced, and then you found the exact right trial where you were kind of the perfect molecular match, right? Like, is this something that people even know or do? Or is that even like one step forward that you or just education around this could help people with like just finding even among existing trials, whether it's cell and gene therapy or small molecule drugs, finding the right ones to figure out like what's a perfect match to your sequence? Yeah, I think going out and doing education on just cellular immunotherapies and and educating advanced cancer patients that this space is emerging and that there are phase one drugs, you know, again, like two examples of these would be CAR T's and then bispecific T cell engagers, like these bite trials. I think it's, there's value in educating cancer patients to look into these. Again, one of the reasons why CARs and bites are a little bit scary is because there is some additional side effects that you have to deal with, you know, in addition to the fact that the cars take, especially autologous cars, they take a long time to to be ready for you. But, 
you know, there is some you know, macrophage activation syndrome or cytokine release syndrome or neurological toxicities that can exist. And that's why, you know, unfortunately today, sometimes you have to have an inpatient hospitalization for two weeks, for example, when you get these type of treatments, because things can go wrong and they want to make sure that you're going to be okay. So the sad irony is that the advanced cancer patient, you should try one of these. You should be able to try one of these, but you have to be healthy enough and be willing to be able to be patient enough because it takes a while to get the drug to you. You have to be healthy enough and patient enough to wait for it. And a lot, a lot of times advanced cancer patients, they, they don't have time to wait. They've got to get on something right away. And so it makes me nervous because I'm going to wait. You know, I, I finished seven rounds of a dual chemotherapy agent about a month ago. And I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for this CAR T to become eligible for it. And I'm going to wait for the harvesting and the editing and the expanding and the transfusion of these cells into me. Waiting is going to cause my cancer to proliferate more, but I'm going to take that chance. I don't know if everybody's willing to go do that. You know, there's a lot of cancer patients that are like, oh my God, I've got to get on treatment now. I can't wait three months. And then again, some of these side effects can be a little bit scary. Um, but nevertheless, these things can be revolutionary. When they do work, they can be durable. And I think patients should look at it and give it a try. I wish, to your other question, I wish there was better diagnostics where somebody could go to a foundation medicine, for example, or a Tempus or a Keras, order a test and identify, okay, here are the the antigens that are expressed on your tumor. So find a car that will go after these. Or here are the things that are screwed up with your tumor microenvironment. So find a car that actually can go after these. I wish we were there. But as far as I know, there's no company that's offering those type of diagnostics for patients right now. You know, maybe we should go create it, right? Or maybe Synthego should help go build something like that and then offer it to the, the companies that are getting into the space of, of using CRISPR tools to create these technologies and these therapies. Because... You need diagnostics first, I think, for patients to understand what's uniquely driving their disease and then what would be the best cellular immunotherapy for them. And it just doesn't exist yet. That's very interesting. Yeah, and it's it's a, a great point, I think, to what we were speaking before, right? Like about the gaps, which this is probably like the biggest one that should be addressed in the shortest term possible to even make sure that all the therapies that are out there are really even uh, known to all the people who actually need them. So just connecting the dots is probably one step that can just help a lot of people out there. Thanks for bringing this up. And and overall, I, I just wanted to thank you for even just taking the time and, and talking to us about like all the things that you've been doing and your personal medical health and all of the associated problems and solutions with it because I truly admire that you really want to use all of your time in like helping others and and are thinking beyond just yourself. So this this is a one of the very important steps in science which you know you're kind of contributing to by just spreading the word, helping people know more. And I'm sure there's just going to be so many people who benefit from this who probably are in a similar situation, but haven't done as much research as you or had no clue that what is available to them. So just thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to talk to you and anything that I can do to help accelerate this space and get better 
help expand the, the general IQ of advanced cancer patients out there about these new cellular immunotherapies and obviously genomics. Like I want every advanced cancer patient to get their cancer profiled so they can understand what's driving their disease. But, you know, I also want to see the space evolve in the cellular immunotherapy space so we can get the right kind of diagnostics and then help, you know, move us into the right type of therapies. And, you know, maybe that's going to happen when these drugs get out of phase one and they get into phase two and phase three. And, you know, we get closer to seeing drugs get FDA approved for solid tumors that, you know, pharmaceutical companies are going to want to shine a light on them then. But, you know, even right now, like they need to recruit patients. I've talked to CEOs of a number of phase one clinical trials, you know, small biotech companies that are creating these cars and they want patients to inquire about them because they got to recruit patients and it's tough to recruit patients. And so the the more that patients understand that these things are out there, it will help with probably getting them into these trials too. Um, Bryce, I also want to extend my, my gratitude and my thank you to you as well. Sharing your story has been so impactful and I'm, I'm hoping that through this podcast episode, um, more people will learn about the sequence me uh, movement that, that you've started. Patients as well as companies, like, like you mentioned, the companies that are developing these, these therapies. Because yeah, at, at Synthago, our, our mission really is to you know, accelerate the movement of genome engineering technology from, from research into the clinic, right? And that's really why we were founded. We wanted to make these, you know, engineering biology, engineered cells-based therapies really accessible to, to everyone that needs them. And so we, we are here supporting cell and gene therapy companies in these efforts and their clinical research and clinical trials. So the company Synthago, we're, we're, we're ready and we're, we're already helping some, some companies move faster. And we, we want to keep moving forward in that direction. Yeah. yeah, and it's so inspiring to hear your story and just thank you for your time and for everything that you're doing, both to be an advocate for your own health as well as helping others that are in, in desperate need of these next generation treatments. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthago blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.